Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with Sports Radio 610, Shad Bajani. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. Later in the show, we ask, who's the most underrated Astro this season? Get in the comments. Tell us what you think. But since we're all excited about the Rockets and Texans' future, which team you bet on to have a better upcoming season? Think about it for a sec. But first, Sean, what did Laramie Tunsil tell Adam Schefter this week? Well, what everybody's going to do anyway, regardless if he said it or not, don't sleep on the Houston Texans. Uh, that was just one of the two nuggets that Laramie Tunsil uh, dropped on Adam Schefter's podcast. The other one being uh, his thoughts on C.J. Stroud and what a natural leader uh, that he's appeared to be since joining the Houston Texans after the Texans took a chance on him at number two overall. So uh, it's no secret that Laramie Tunsil is all about the Houston Texans. He's been all in. It's the franchise that's made him the highest paid left tackle in NFL history, not once but now two times. It's encouraging to hear those things. It's important for a guy, I think, like Laramie Tunsil to be vocal like that, since I don't think we would necessarily attribute him being that vocal leader, so to speak, on this Texans team. And look, I've had conversations, and you've probably done the same thing, about what leadership means, what it entails. You don't always have to be the vocal guy, but it is important, and it means even more. When a guy like Laramie Tunsil, who's not used to, um, you know, being vocal, saying much on social media or to the news or writing articles about him and stuff like that, for him to just come out and say how confident he is in this organization, the changes they've made, and to the guy that they believe is going to lead this franchise under center for the foreseeable future in C.J. Stroud, when he's feeling good about it, you can't help but feel good as well. Yeah, Tunsil saying don't sleep on us is a nothing proclamation, though, next to Cam Whitmore, who says he could be in competition for rookie of the year. And as I talked about with Salman Ali in yesterday's pod, the chances he's even in the rotation aren't that good. But then Cam said, Sean, he said, I have the biggest skill set in the draft right now, and I'm I think I'm the most different type of athlete among everybody. Sean, uh, you are the most different type of athlete in a Wembyama draft. Wemby is in this draft. What do you mean you're a different type of athlete more than anybody? He's not the most probably in a lot of years, but in a Wemby year, it's really crazy. It's really crazy, but hey, that's supreme confidence, right? I mean, what do you expect a guy to say that just came off of winning a summer league MVP and flashed like he did? Uh, we should all be encouraged as Rocket fans. I'm glad to hear this stuff. Uh, I think it's important for a guy like Cam Whitmore to have had the success that he did in Summer League, to be rewarded for such. And, you know, maybe we start paying a little bit more attention now to maybe some difficult decisions that Ime Udoka and this Rocket staff have to make between now and then. I mean, I don't know how many guys, you know, play as well as he did just weeks after having their dream come true. Sure, he thought he was going to be a lottery pick and maybe other years if character concerns aren't an issue, if uh, knee surgeries or injuries aren't an issue, he probably is, especially if it's not a Wimbenyama 
Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller draft, right? He probably is. But I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I mean, we all watched the games. And, I mean, I know for a lot of people, they didn't sit, you know, locked in and watch the entire start to finish. But you know what the guy did. You know what he's capable of. You saw the raw talent. Yeah, look, after his first game or two, we were side-eyeing each other saying, man, this guy needs to work on his shot. You know, maybe he is a chucker. Uh, this, that, and the other thing. He didn't play perfect basketball, but he played really, really good sound basketball. And it should have gotten you excited. Well, the funny thing is, Sean, he might not even be the best athlete of his own locker room as a rookie class. I mean, Ahmed Thompson, this guy is one of the great athletes that we've ever seen come out in the draft. So it's just kind of funny that Kim, I'm the, I'm the best, one of the most unique athletes. Ahmed Thompson can jump out of the gym. He's a great passer. He's, I mean, he's a, a, an incredible athlete. So it's just kind of, I don't know. I just thought it was real funny that, you know, in a, in a Wemby draft, when there's a guy in his locker room, that, that's like one of the great athletes that we've ever seen come out that, you know, and I, Hey, I love the confidence, but you don't, honestly want to step on your own teammate right off the bat. I mean, he, he needed to think of that for a second. I, I don't know. Hey, you know, these guys are young. Uh, they're not thinking of everything. And uh, I'm sure that's something that the PR staff will kind of coach him up on in the future. But I, again, I think it's just the supreme confidence that a guy has after he played as well as he did uh, just weeks after uh, living out his dream. And, you know, now it really starts where he gets to live out his dream. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, who knows what this uh, summer league would have looked like if Amin Thompson would have remained healthy and not had the ankle issue. Um, what would we be talking about then? How excited would people be? How excited would Rocket fans be going into the season? You still have a little bit uh, before these guys really get started. So, hey, it's all encouraging. And I think for a guy like Kim Whitmore with, you know, look, he had some questions we talked about with character, with the knee the immaturity, stuff like that coming in. He needed to have some success. Didn't really forecast it to be, you know, what he did and how he played in summer league, but he had some success. And I think that's going to be a big boost for him entering to the uh, first regular season of his NBA career. Yeah. It just, it just cracks me up though with character. They talk about, well, his character and his knee. Well, the knee looked pretty darn good in the summer league. Yep. And as far as character goes, uh, you got a guy that was picked a couple spots ahead of him that handed somebody a gun that was looking for a gun in an argument and it ended up in a murder. So that guy, you know, that guy's character might have a little uh, something to work on too. And by the way, that guy didn't look all that special in summer league, but I know we're a long way in summer league. You just, most of this stuff, you just got to throw out the door, Sean, we got to get to the fun stuff now. And I'm going to give you nine quick reasons why the Texans and Rockets are in the same place. And then we're going to talk about, what they're going to do this year. And I'm going to pull up this graphic for those of you on YouTube, Sean, you could see this for the first time too. And see, see Sean, if you can think of any other reasons why the Texans and Rockets are looking like twins these days. Number one, uh, when you look at them, they both drafted a future quarterback, CJ Stroud and Amen Thompson. Number two, both hired respected young head coaches with title game experience. Mm -hmm. We know who those two guys are. Number three, both GMs loaded up on first-round picks thanks to Harden and Deshaun in each case, but the results are pending, and we're going to see what's going to happen there. Number four, both are trying to escape terrible national perceptions. Number five, both have explosive offensive talents, Jalen Green and Damian Pierce, who've already shown that off. 
Number six, both added a touted defender to terrible defenses, Will Anderson and Dylan Brooks. Number seven, both rebuilding from the sudden loss of top 10 talent. Again, Harden and Deshaun, and it was an unexpected and sudden for both of them. Number eight, both rebuilding after being stripped of draft picks. Shout out to Bill O'Brien and Russell Westbrook. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, Number nine, both brought in veteran quarterbacks for leadership, Case Keatum and Fred Van Vliet for the Rockets. Although, you know, I understand, or people out on Twitter, oh, but Van Vliet's way better. Uh, Yeah, Van Vliet is going to be a starter, and he's considered a better player as far as the NBA compared to Case Keenum. But just for comparison, they are both uh, veteran quarterbacks. They were brought in for leadership purposes. Am am I missing anything, Sean, where you see that these two can uh, sort of match up a little bit with each other? I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's uh, you could probably stretch and find a tenth one in there somewhere, but I'm trying to uh, uh, do that myself. I would say maybe, you know, on that last one, the ninth one, you could make an argument of like, all right, maybe Jeff Green is like the Case Keenum, you know, for the Houston Rockets, so to speak. You know, he's been around a long time, you know, been with some really good teams, won a championship, I believe, just for the simple fact that we don't really know how much we expect Case Keenum to contribute, if anything, actually at all on a football field, or if that's going to be Davis Mills, if in fact the Texans choose or decide rather that C.J. Stroud isn't ready to be their week one starter, uh, but he will be their starter at some point in time. I don't know. I could, I could, I wouldn't have kicked it out of bed if you would have said Robert Woods, you know, is the equivalent of a Fred Van Vliet because we still expect. Robert Woods to be a key contributor on this uh, Texans offense. Hell, at season's end, if he stays healthy for a second straight year coming off of ACL surgery, he might end up being the leading receiver, not named Dalton Schultz, or maybe just outright. Who knows? But yeah, I think your list is fantastic, and there are a ton of reasons. And again, there probably are a few reasons that we could uh, think of to add to your list. But it is uncanny just how similar the paths have been, the the decision-making to go ahead and tear everything down, both of these franchises, and build it back up the way that they have. <laughs> both of them didn't need to take three years to do it, but they did. We're here now, and you just hope that year four, as this rebuild ensues for both of these organizations, that we start seeing the fruits of their labor much, much sooner than later. And maybe I should have made it, uh, I should have been one more and made it a full on top 10 letterman. I just couldn't figure out something. Robert yeah. Woods to me still feels like it's a lottery ticket. I mean, yes, he used to play at a Pro Bowl level. Van Vliet used to play at an all-star level, but I think Van Vliet, we're a little bit more confident of where, where he's at. Not to say he's going to be an all-star this year, but a little bit more confident where he is as a player. The million dollar question though, Sean, is who's going to be better this upcoming season the Rockets or the Texans, and I'm letting you kick this one off because this is this is a toughie for me. Rockets or Texans? Who's going to be better this upcoming year? We talked about this a little bit with the Rockets already. You know, just how much improved they're going to be. I guess at the end of the day, you could ask this question as well: if the product is just more watchable, more likable. In and of itself, is that a success for the Houston Rockets? I think you could ask the same question for the Houston Texans. But if the product is more likable, more watchable, you're more successful, it should be pretty proportional to an increase in wins. You know, the last two teams in the Western Conference this past year, New Orleans and Oklahoma City, were hovering in and around a uh, 49, 51% winning percentage. 
the Rockets are coming off of a 22-win season. And if they're going to be better, more disciplined, more likable, more watchable, play a better brand of basketball, try harder defensively, and just be a little bit better offensively because they've got some explosive talent on that end of the floor. There's no question about it. It should equate to, in my mind, at least 15 more wins. And if it does, I think we're talking about this rebuild as being a resounding success in year one. Whereas the Texans, we know within that division, you're battling with just less than a handful of other teams, Colts, Titans, and Jaguars. And we know how putrid and unreliable and inconsistent that division has been in its history since certainly Peyton Manning hasn't been involved in it. If you're the Texans, you certainly could make the argument, and I really have, that across the board from this roster construction is probably on paper from where they were last year to where they are right now on paper, the most improved team in the entire league. And look, it's all not going to work out swimmingly. There will be draft picks they flunk on. Give me the but- W total. I need the W total. You just said 15 more for the Rockets. So we're you're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure this out percentage. Well, the over under the over under pre-draft, according to Vegas, was set at five and a half. Post-draft, it's now six and a half. And I still think uh the Texans can go over that six and a half uh win margin. I would not be surprised. If the Texans, you know, wind up with eight or nine victories and are legitimately in the mix to win this division, just because it's the NFL, it's the AFC South, crazy things happen. And I'm not all in on the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, they spent a ton of money, got a lot of talent in a couple of years ago, but they've really been hamstrung with what they could do over the course of the last couple of off seasons. And certainly this one. And I'm just, I need to see more from Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson, more than just eight or nine games of playing and calling really good football offensively. I need to see it. You got to show me something. So Okay. Okay. So before you meander a little bit, you're saying you're predicting the Texans for eight or nine wins. If you're predicting, predicting the Texans for eight or nine wins, I would say that's better than 30. I just said i take the over. So I'll, I'll make my prediction and I'll set it at... Uh, I'll set it at seven games. I I predict the Texans will win seven games. If they won eight or nine, I really would not be shocked. Well, let me tell you, because I did the math on this, and I'm I'm pretty close to where you're at as far as the prediction. You you kind of went around and around, and I'm going to just give it to you right square in the eye. Mm -hmm. The Texans have the easier schedule between the two teams. Otherwise, I'd lean towards the Rockets, but I'm still, I'm still, you know, looking at the Rockets and the Texans. And relying, uh, well, I should say the Rockets are going to be relying not on as many rookies as the Texans because of quarterback and pass rushing. The Texans are relying on rookies. So because of that, I'm predicting 38 wins for the Rockets, which is about where you were, 46% winning percentage. I'm predicting seven wins for the Texans because I don't think the rookies can carry them to eight or nine which is where they would need, I think, to have a better winning percentage. That's 41% for the Texans. So me and you are both at the same place. The Rockets, winning percentage-wise, which is the better team, I think is the, that's the way you judge the better team this year. They're, they, they, I think they're going to be the better team between the two. And, and yeah, you, you went around and around, but we, we agree on this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just uh, I like to state a case, you know, make a case, you know, for my prediction. But I feel that way too, from a historical perspective, 
really from in both situations, but more passionately about the Texans and what they could accomplish. Just because what history has taught us over the course of the last two decades, in the last 20 years, there have been 23 different teams that have gone from last place within a division to first place from one year to the next. It's happened 23 times in 20 years. 18 of the last 20 seasons it's happened. There've only been two NFL seasons in which a team has not done that. Doesn't also mean, I haven't done this legwork, but doesn't also mean that just because they didn't win their division, they didn't make the postseason as a wild card, which I'm not predicting that there's a division winner and a wild card coming from the AFC South uh, just because of how bad it's been. But last, I, last the first with the rookie quarterback, though. That's tough. Yeah, last the first with a rookie quarterback, sure. And, you know, who knows when C.J. Stroud starts? Is he going to be a week one starter? If he is a week one starter, I think a lot of people have that pegged, and it's like a guarantee. If you look historically, and I went way back, I went back 40 years, 40 years worth of taking quarterbacks in the first round, how often – They've been week one starters. It's a minority percentage. I don't have the hard numbers in front of me, but I wrote about it a couple of times uh, over the course of uh, the last, you know, four or five, six months. It'd be a minority percentage if CJ Stroud started week one. Over the course of the last eight to 10 years, it's become more commonplace as football has changed, money has changed, team control has changed, rookie contracts. All of that stuff, right? You've got the fifth year. So if you're going to take a guy, you might as well, you know, play him and get the most bang for your buck, so to speak. But there is a reason why uh, the Texans went out and got a, a guy like Case Keenum, that they he knows the system extremely well, like the back of his hand. He's been in it in a multitude of different facets under Gary Kubiak and, you know, obviously in Denver and Washington and Minnesota, just some facet of the offense over the course of his uh, career. And then you have Davis Mills. I don't know if the guy's going to be a Houston Texan when training camp breaks or not, but if he is, you at least know what you have in that guy. Maybe he looks a little bit better in the system. So, you know, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I don't care about Davis Mills because there's no way. We've already talked about it. There's no way Davis Mills, the, the, this fan base would throw stuff on the field oh, yeah, if Davis would. Mills was starting the season. And look, it's going to take two injuries for Davis Mills to get on the field by the by two quarterbacks. Keenum, yeah. Yeah. So we, so we like I, I don't care. I don't care that that plays nothing as far as the win total. Now, if you're telling me, Sean, you think the Texans have a better chance to maybe get eight or nine wins with Case Keenum and quarterback, that's news. Do you think they do? Well, that's that's what I was kind of getting at, you know, and breaking down all those quarterbacks because you don't know how they're going to get there, who's going to start and who's going to end up finishing because it's football. Injuries happen, decisions are made. If Stroud gets out there week one and, you know, by week eight or nine, he just is getting killed or looks extremely overwhelmed. You know, you have that stopgap guy, you know, somebody to stop the bleeding in Case Keenum if they feel uh, it's necessary to call upon him you know, to play a couple of games, maybe get you into a bye week and give Stroud some extra time to figure some things out or get healthy, whatever the case may be. I mean, I know I'm going a little bit too deep into the weeds because, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. But you made probably the best point uh, of either one of us, you know, when we're talking about the Texans in terms of the reliability. There's so many young players, unproven players, rookie players, first, second-year guys that the Texans are going to be relying upon at key positions. Obviously, quarterback is number one. Damian Pierce is number 
number two. They got backup for him, though. But in every major position group, there's there's youth there, and the youth is going to be played and relied upon. So you don't know how that stuff goes. The Texans aren't going to have four or five rookie of the year candidates or most improved player candidates or perennial pro bowlers come from this group. But there is the opportunity there for a lot of these veterans that they did sign to kind of rebirth their career, so to speak. Most of them are on one-year, two-year deals with a little chip on their shoulder, maybe hoping they can prove something to this team, to the rest of the NFL, that, hey, they still got some gas left in the tank, and they're still worthy of a bigger and better contract for the 2024 season. So I think there's that, and I think that always plays a major role. Just to speak to the rookies, there's one rookie that's probably getting rotation minutes for the Rockets, from my guess, and that's going to be Amen Thompson. Unless there's injuries, I don't see Cam Whitmore in the rotation like we've talked about. And I just see a lot of rookies, starting with C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson, that are going to be out there all the time, making mistakes and all that sort of stuff. You know, the NFL is sometimes different. Rookies a lot of times can make a bigger impact in a good way, whereas the NBA, as we've seen with the Rockets, it's more in a, a bad way. Let's move to the Astros because I got another fun question for you, Sean. Yep. Real simple. Who do you believe is the most underrated Astro this year? Most underrated. One guy I don't think was barely a blip on the radar screen that's uh, been a big-time contributor, J.P. France. Uh, what he's meant to this Astros rotation, count the ways. <laughs> I mean, it's it's invaluable. He's been a big reason why he is a part of that phenomenal statistic that it's probably up in the mid-30s by now. I know it was about 32 pre-All-Star break in terms of the starts, the appearances that the Astros have gotten from their rookie pitchers this year, which is a key reason why they were atop all of Major League Baseball and starter ERA and just staff ERA, period. So J.P. France is certainly one of them. You know, underrated, underappreciated, not talked about near enough. I know there's some stellar rookies, you know, sprinkled throughout all of Major League Baseball. But how about my guy, Corey Jelks, man, coming from the University of Houston with literally zero expectation, probably doesn't crack the roster if Michael Brantley's shoulder isn't falling off every 24 hours. I mean, he's been terrific. He's had an incredible season. What a month of July and really tail end part of June. He's kind of been like Mr. Consistent, and then he's gotten better as the season's gone along. Wait, I think do you, do you, let me ask you, because you you talked about around baseball, but I guess I'm thinking more in terms of, because I don't care about what other people say about the Astros, because nobody talks about him when they do, it's negative. And we know, you know how the national guys look at the, the Astros a lot of the time. I'm just kind of asking from, like, Astro fan-wise, uh, do you feel like Jokes is underrated by Astro fan? Do you feel like J.P. France is underrated? Like, I, I feel like, you know, you talk about J.P. France being underrated. I, I agree to a point, but in a way, I think if you're going to talk starting pitchers, Brandon Belak kind of gets, if you're if you're going that direction, I'm going to go a different direction. But if you're going that direction, Brandon Belak, because he's not the flashy, you know, stud, next guy coming up out of the minor yeah. league system and J.P. France, One's supposed to be fantastic, but at least everybody looks at him and he, oh, he's got stuff. But what Brandon mm-hmm. Belak has done without stuff and just giving you solid outings, you know, I, I would say Belak even over J.P. France if we're going starting pitchers. Yeah, and I wouldn't kick that out of bed. I guess I've kind of cooled in that regard and relative to, you know, the question, our conversation on most underrated, just for the simple fact that, you know, what, 
It's been like three out of the last five starts. Uh, Brandon Bielak, I mean, hell, he got sent down because he just wasn't getting the job done. Granted, you know, the Astros as a starting staff, it's been, it's been a tough go of it, you know, to get five innings out of these guys lately. Uh, even for Fromber, he struggled a little bit, obviously with injury. But just because Bielak has struggled a little bit, JP France, you know, I think he's had like one, maybe two poor outings this season. And there was one earlier in the year where he pitched like three and two thirds. And there was another where he gave up like four earned runs and five innings of work. But outside of that, uh, the guy's been phenomenal. And I don't know that people talk about him enough. I think a lot of the attention was going to Fromber and uh, Christian Javier and quite simply the guys that aren't pitching because of health issues. But yeah, I can roll with Belak. Absolutely. Um, you know, from an Astro fan perspective, who's the most underrated, least appreciated, not talked about, probably Jose Abreu has to be in that conversation, right? I mean, I still don't believe people believe in him, despite the gaudy numbers that he's been putting up over the course of the last month. It just started so poorly for him. I mean, it was like a career worst start through the first two months of the season this year. And you thought, Man, if you could have ever spent any worse money, like you might as well just burn it or, you know, flush it down the toilet. The guy's come on um, and he's been Mr. Clutch, you know. I mean, who's better? I think maybe there's two guys better in all of Major League Baseball with runners in scoring position in two outs. For a team that is just hoping to get in and have that opportunity, if you've got that clutch gene now at first base, you know what we've seen at shortstop before with Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, Kyle Tucker, all these guys have come up big, Jordan at one point or another for this ball club. And when you have those guys sprinkled throughout the lineup, you got to feel really good about the Astros' chances if they just give themselves a shot. Yeah, I didn't see Jose Abreu being the most underrated by an Astro fan. And just for the record, uh, 3-3-1, J.P. France's ERA, 3-4-6, and I know ERA, whatever, but 3-4-6 <laughs> is uh, BLAX, so they're they're really close. It's it's a hair-thin margin. You know, France also has them in, in whip, so whatever. But those guys are probably closer than people realize. And, yep. you know, both guys have really come up with some big innings for the Astros. But my most underrated Astro is Hector Neris or Neris or however you want to call it. I'm not sure he ever gets his proper love by Astro Nation. 43 appearances, 1.55 ERA, 1.03 whip, 171 batting average against. The best Astro reliever by pretty much every analytic. And Sean, I'm not sure he got proper accolades last year either. I can't disagree with you. That's a really good poll. The problem with Neris and why he's not getting a lot of the love is because, well, everybody else around him in the bullpen, you know, has had to play, you know, key roles coming out of that pen because starting pitching has failed to just go deep in the ballgames routinely. And they failed a lot of the time. Montero, we've talked about him at nauseum with a poor contract. And look, I think Presley, he had my vote for World Series MVP last year. He was just so huge. Uh, coming up clutch and getting outs in those ball games, and what he, he ended up finishing uh, the World Series with three saves, I think four or five total in the postseason. His numbers are better than you think, Ryan Presley. Though he still oh, has a two hundred like two blown saves. Yeah, but he's he's he, well, he has two hundred batting average against point nine two WHIP, two nine eight ERA, twenty one say he's blown four saves. Yes, twenty one oh, saves four. altogether. Okay. So you know it, it it's forty forty seven strikeouts, eight walks. It just feels like it because some of these other guys in the bullpen aren't pulling their weight that Presley 
is not doing all that great this year. I don't yeah, know. I, I think, uh, and you say I, two of those blown saves have probably come within the last uh, couple of three weeks. Uh, so it's been more current. But, I mean, I think the guy's terrific. But I agree with you on Naris. He's been phenomenal. He's probably the most fun to watch, most excitable guy coming out of the Astros pen. Though I remember once upon a time ago, probably this time last year, we were having a hell of a lot of fun watching uh, Stanek do his thing on the mound. And that's a guy that I just hope he gets whatever he's missing back because he's a lot of fun to watch. His stuff is too good for him to be struggling the way that he has been. But Naris is a really good pick. Um, I think you could probably make an argument when you're the Astros and you're going through the type of struggles, you know, that they've been through this year with injuries and underperformance, probably find four or five guys uh, to put in that conversation. Yeah. And that leads me into an, an, an next question that I feel like this is where we are right now. And Sean, you've been steadfast and staying positive and everything, but Hunter Brown and Christian Javier still aren't right. Lots of concerns. I don't know if that those two guys can turn it around. At least Hunter, we're not seeing the decreased velocity and maybe some arm issues that potentially that Christian, because Javier, like the fastball isn't the same. Astros can say whatever they want to. They set him down for a little bit. I didn't think it was enough. Are there more than one starter? I'm going to ask you this. Are there more than one starter and three relievers at this very second that you have faith in for a postseason run? Because I've got Bromber, Presley, Neris. Abreu, and maybe you could talk me into Phil Mayton, you know, but we don't know if if Mayton can keep this up into the postseason. He's not the arm that those other guys are. But I've got just four guys, four four pitchers at this point, and and three of those pitchers have pitched a ton for relievers. Yeah, and and yeah. and and that's that that's scary because you got four guys left that I'm like, well, in three months, you know, if you get there, those are the only or guys that you know you might be able to depend on. And we're talking about trying to make a trade and, oh, you might get a starting pitcher. You know, you might get uh, a, a bat. I, I, again, I just keep talking about this to people that just don't get it. You need more than one pitcher. I try to keep this as short as possible, man. Um, when the Astros lose, the sky's falling. When the Astros win, here they come. You know, literally it's it's 24 hours and it's up and down roller coaster. It's ridiculous. And I feel the same way about some of these individuals that you mentioned in re- in regard to more Christian Javier than Hunter Brown, because Hunter Brown experiencing what he's going through in really the last, what, six, seven starts where he's really failed to be consistent and be that guy that we've already been kind of used to seeing in this role because of his performance uh, earlier in the season. And obviously last year, you know, a cup of coffee he had in the regular season is that these guys can figure it out. Christian Javier isn't the likelihood of all of him, all of a sudden being Mr. Potato head and he's fallen off the wall and he's broken and you can't put the guy back together. I just don't believe it. I mean, how do you get more velocity into a fastball that hasn't been there the whole year though? That's, I guess that's my, I, I just don't understand that's a, people. That's a good question. But he, he was getting swings and misses earlier in the season opposed to the last month and a half, okay, even with the velocity being down. So how is he able to do that? Is it just tired legs? Is it something mechanical? Is it release point? Is it the way he's gripping the ball? 
there is a multitude of things that, you know, he's going through and the Astros are trying to figure out. They clearly don't know, or if they do and have identified it, trying to get him back to what he was doing before, or maybe making a subtle change in which he's just simply not used to yet. These are all variables. These are all factors. I just, I feel confident in the sense that the Astros, while they're not dominating the division, they're not dominating baseball, they still very well could finish as one of the four best ball clubs in all of Major League Baseball at the end of this season because of the moves or move or moves that have not been made yet. We've seen how that can propel a ball club time and time again, but specifically with this Astros ball club. I think the pitcher that could be the difference maker, the linchpin, if you will, isn't wearing an Astros uniform right now. I don't know who it's going to be, if it's Dylan Cease, if it's Jordan Montgomery, if it's Giolito. I don't know who it is, but I think that guy's out there. It's Is Dana Brown, Jim Crane going to be able to pull the trigger and get that guy? They're going to have to get one starter and at least one reliever for me to feel confident about this team going forward. Why it's only one and one is because I do have confidence that when Urquidy is ready to come back, he can be that guy to go out and eat some innings for you, maybe allow you to rest a J.P. France, a Brandon Belak, most importantly, Hunter Brown, who's getting up towards 100 big league innings this season already at this point in time. And look, the relievers, they need help, obviously. Is there a guy out there that can come in and can we continue to get what we've seen out of Phil Maton, the best of Brian Abreu, Ryan Presley, Hector Neris. If you can, and I think in large part, like you could, that's a pretty damn stout relief <laughs> relief core. And that's a pretty damn stout one, two, three, if Javier's going to figure stuff out and you keep Fromber healthy and you get Urquidy back and you throw a guy in who's a legitimate top one, two, or three that you haven't got yet off the trade market, things are looking pretty good. It's looked a heck of a lot worse over the course of time as Houston Astros fans. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, th three or four relievers, and, and especially if one of those guys is Phil Maton, it just, I mean, look, Rafael Montero, he ain't coming back this year. The, the Rafael Montero we got last year, he's not coming back. There's like I a 99 and 99.9% .9 chance. If you want to bet on Rafael Montero, if you want to take your mortgage to the bank on him, he's not coming back. Seth Martinez is not good enough. They're going to have to go out. I don't care what anybody says. They at least need to get one bullpen arm, maybe two bullpen arms. And, and it's a little bit easier to do than just getting this ace starter. It's easier to do on the trade market. Who cares? Lefty, you know, bat, all this other crap. Offensively, they don't need that. You know, if Jordan's in the lineup with the guys that they've got now and Altuve can come back, if those two guys, it doesn't even matter. Like we don't even we don't even discuss the World Series, but they need two bullpen guys because the guys that you've got that are good, they're getting way too many innings. They're wearing the hell out, and I'm telling you, in, in October, November, I've seen it too many times when that happens. Those guys are out of gas, and 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 you're putting too much pressure on them. And 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 I, I you have more confidence in Jose <coughs> Arquiti than I have. You know, he's had some he has, he's had a couple of postseason moments, but I just I don't have a ton of confidence in Jose Arquiti as a regular third starter in a rotation that's going to take you to win the World Series. But we'll see, and we've seen well, teams. Well, he wasn't a World Series factor last year either, but yeah, he's yeah. an important person to get you to that point so you can rely upon your dogs. Yeah, but I also believe— But, you need, but he's got to be—if you're just getting one starter, 
one stud and that's it. That's all you're getting in, in the starting rotation. Then Jose Arquiti has got to be the third starter to take you through. A t- well, right now you're, you're, you're a wild card right. team. So he's going to take you through, you know, a bunch of rounds of the playoffs now, a bunch. So, I mean, it's, it's asking a lot from a Jose Arquiti that, you know, he, he we thought he was going to be a stud when he got that first appearance in the world series a few years ago against the, you know, against that Washington team and, 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 and all that. But it just, I haven't seen that guy as much in the last few years. And, 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 and he's still like, he's coming back from injury and he's got a history of injuries, you know, and, and, and I don't know if it yeah. ends just because he, he comes back in a couple of weeks and everything's going to be good the rest of the year. No, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a difference maker throughout the course of a regular season, but we've seen him be one as well in the postseason. And it's not like you're throwing all your hopes and dreams on a guy like Arkady. There's a lot of ifs when you're in a situation like the Astros. Uh, if you can get something positive from Arkady, that's great. If you can turn Christian Javier around, that's awesome. If Fromber continues to be your ace, terrific. Yeah, that's your one, two, three. But with Urquidy coming back, if there's some way somehow you can preserve Hunter Brown a little bit as well and get him to where, you know, he's going to enter that 130, 140 innings pitch threshold a heck of a lot closer towards the end of the regular season and into the postseason, I feel really good about throwing a Hunter Brown out there against anybody's best uh, with him on the mound. When he's right, he's terrific. Um and look, yeah, I, I just, I'll put the period at the end of my sentence, and I, I guess I can't say it enough. To say that one stud starting pitcher is going to fill up every hole in this pitching, that, and it's going to carry you to a World Series, and what's now a multiple, this isn't 1986, where you got to go through two rounds, okay? This is 2023, yeah. you're most likely right now a wild card team. I know you could still catch the, catch the Rangers. But you got to prove it. I mean, they keep treading water and treading water and treading water. And time's running out. We're, we're, we're almost yeah. two months left to go in the season. Well, That's out. it. Eight, watch nine weeks. Watch out for the team that treads water the whole season without Jordan Alvarez, without Jose Altuve, without you know any multitude of pitchers. Watch out for that team when they do go out and get one stud starting pitcher, when they do go out and get one boss to come out of the bullpen and give you a seventh or eighth inning um, in a crucial ball game. Watch out for that team. That's all I'm saying. And I still believe what we're inside of a week, week and a half of another three game set with the Texas Rangers. They're off tonight. You got an opportunity to make up a little bit of ground, especially with the A's um, and who else? Uh, The Rays coming up. I believe you have with them. That's going to be a difficult series before you get to the Texas Rangers. But you've got an opportunity to really make that three-game set in which you only have one more three-game series with the Rangers before the season ends to really mean something and to be a defining series, if you will. You're just looking to give yourself a chance within that series alone. And uh, right now, look, the Astros, I think you have to applaud them for everything that they've been through injury-wise and performance-wise um, to even be in this position. It's going to be fun. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I just say, hey, I don't care how they get in, just so long as they get in. All right, before we go, I, I have to send, or for, for the show, I want to send out best wishes to Astros pitching prospect Jonathan Sprinkle. Before last season, he was a guest on our show. He talked about growing up a Royals fan in the Kansas City area and how Alex Gordon was the guy he looked up to the most. The reason was much more than baseball. 
Gordon spoke to his brother several times when his brother was dealing with cancer. Go back and check out that conversation. But thankfully, Sprinkle's brother survived his cancer scare. Unfortunately, a few months ago, Jonathan's sister, Amanda, was diagnosed with leukemia. And then friend of the show, Kenny Van Doren, recently wrote a piece on astrosfuture.com. Fantastic piece. Last week, he talked about how Sprinkle left the Corpus Christi Hooks to donate his bone marrow for his sister. 22 people matched for a bone marrow transplant. Nobody else would make the sacrifice, but Jonathan did. He might miss the rest of the season or at least a month or something like that. I'm not sure how long they're expecting to miss him down in Corpus, but uh, we just want to send all our best to Jonathan Sprinkle because, you know, such such a good kid. I mean, he was great. I mean, loved having him on the show and his family has been through quite a bit. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, thoughts and prayers to him and his family. And um, uh, it's it's always tough to go through something like that. So definitely keep them in your thoughts. Next week, it's here. Training camp, Texans. Correct, Sean? You're going to be there. Let's do it. I'll be there. 25th. Right. I'm ready. Right. I'm already there. All right. Sean's going to have us some reports from Texans training camp coming up. Can't wait for that. Can't wait to, to see what uh, C.J. Stroud looks like, all that stuff. Uh, Looking forward to our next show. Until then, guys, have a great weekend. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Touchdown!